Hello, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, Jonathan Van Ness's hair is more famous than I am. A fresh coat of paint and an avocado citrus salad can solve all of our problems. And I will sell my soul to the devil for a RuPaul Queer Eye crossover. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Get your paper sorted out over there. Hello. There's a lot going on. I have three pages of notes. Oh, my God. I'm like David Letterman over here. Look in my pencil. Yeah. Our next guest needs no introduction. (laughs) Just kidding. It's just you're stuck with us for the 40 minutes. So no one's coming. It's just us. (laughs) It's just us and the Fab Five. Oh, boy. Diana, you are so excited to do this episode. I was literally. Your skin is like beaming. You're glowing. (laughs) Um, you keep wanting to talk about it in between takes and i'm like save it for the podcast i know i'm like spoiling all of the energy because i just can't stop talking about queer eyes revival tell us us how this show is making you feel where are you at right now because you you wanted to do this episode i you know watched it immediately and was all in yeah what's what's speaking to you about it so okay so queer (laughs) right right back it up back it up back it up to 2003 um where i was 12 years old and i remember when queer eye for the straight guy first premiered Mm -hmm. and it was something that both of my parents absolutely loved and this is like nothing new that show really resonated with middle america really resonated with like a whole bunch of families like it was just a really fun show what was something we had never seen before exactly it was revolutionary for its time fresh absolutely so um, when I heard there was going to be a Queer Eye revival, I was so apprehensive because I was like, A, why? What is the intention behind this? Mm-hmm. Who's doing it? Yeah. What are we doing? How are we making it? How are we going to build upon what the fab, original Fab Five already did? Mm-hmm. And I just always get really nervous when things are revived because I'm just like not sure why we're bringing it back. It felt sure. a little exploitive. It well, felt we we bring a lot of things back and most of them suck. So yeah. it, it, your hesitation is warranted right and queer for the straight guy lives in such a like sincere place in so many so many people's hearts that it was like what are we doing with this one Mm -hmm. so my roommate was actually like uh diana have you watched the new queer eye and i was like no but like should i be and she sat me down we watched an episode together and i was sobbing you're hooked oh my god i watched all eight of them like that day if not that weekend yeah i benched it pretty quick too oh my god it just felt so warm. Mm-hmm. It felt so sincere. And it really, they did a great job of casting. They did a great job of the intention and the grounding for the show. I loved it. I just thought, I just think it's so great. It is great TV. Mm-hmm. It's definitely great TV. And I think what's making it, I think, you know, we'll talk about the political and social you know, movement, current, subconscious, bias, um, all, all of the things that make it kind of unique. But I think also there's such a, to your point, the word warmth, kindness, being kind to yourself. I mean, we're living in Trump's America and it, these are dark times. I mean, I feel like, and we've talked about this, the feminist movement is heavy. There's a lot of me too. There's a lot of times up. It's almost sometimes feels 
like everything has to have this like heavy agenda to it at points. And to see a show take on the political climate in a way that's like so loving is so refreshing and such a joy to watch and so fun and it's entertaining. Um, and I think it makes you feel good mm -hmm. while kind of being, you know, in this very political climate. And they're not beating you over the head with it, you know? Yeah. Which is really the nuance and the trick of the show, I think, is that it is such a fun light, but then embedded and grounded in this real love of love, really. I don't I mean, what else is there to say? Yeah. I mean, what I like about it is so the original one was set mostly in New York City with a little bit of going out into New Jersey, but mostly set here um, because of the glamour and the fame and all the kind of things that people wanted to see of New York in that time. And mm -hmm. I like that this one goes to Georgia. You're going to small towns um, in Georgia and making over guys that are there, uh, which is a really fun change. I think that's kind of modernizing it in a really great way. Mm -hmm. And also uh, what I love about this is like their mantra is to lead with love. Mm -hmm. And they always talk about this, like in all the interviews they've done post-show, they want to lead with love. And they talk about where when they go to places where they know a person is going to be different or hold different viewpoints from them or is a Trump supporter or you know, just maybe isn't going to be as comfortable with them. They point out all the things that they love about them immediately off the bat. And they talk about all the things that they're doing great and that mm -hmm. they're like doing a great job at, whether it's like fatherhood or their job or something like that, like being a provider, that kind of thing. And then they talk about um, the more serious conversations from a place of already having built that rapport and already kind of making the person feel seen and not threatened. Yeah. And that to me, Bobby articulated this in an interview, that that's kind of their um, intention for when they meet these guys mm -hmm. is to build that relationship right off the bat so that when they're, they're able to talk about things in a measured way. And I think that is revolutionary for what we're doing right now. Right. So much of conversations, especially online, are like, meh, 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 And every, mm -hmm. nobody knows how to disagree anymore. Nobody knows how to have a conversation anymore. Nobody knows how to not be reactionary and not get instantly angry when somebody expresses a different viewpoint. Yeah. So I love that Queer Eye is like intentionally championing this way of bridging that gap. And I love how subtle they were because I feel like, you know, they're in Georgia and they're driving to these rural towns or, you know, and sometimes city center spaces. And, you know, the first episode I was, you know, in there with the one gentleman, I'm like, are they going to go? Like, are, is this going to be about Trump's America? And they were very careful. They, they kind of didn't even go there in that episode. And it kind of, as we get deeper into the season, the layers start peeling back and we see, you know, the make America great again hat that they're all like joking about. It, it, and it's such a, it's so disarming and they do it in such a subtle way that, you know, again, peeling back the layers, they're not hitting you over the head with it. Um, this girl, Catherine Gelisepe from Vice, she wrote an article called Let the New Queer Eye Defrost Your Frozen Over Heart. <laughs> um, and she wrote that one of the like, basically, she wrote this article about how their relationships, they're not, you know, let's see here. Sorry, I'm just 
cruising through here. We're reading through the notes. We're doing our homework. But just basically, like, to that point that they're not trying to, like, knock you over the head with it. It's not like we're this liberal agenda. We're going to try to make you over. It's, like, leading with a place of love, connecting with these people. And then if the conversations happen, they happen. They happen, yeah. It's so organic um, in the way that they, like, are driving to Target or they're driving to, like, go get their hair cut. And these things kind of come up. I think it's really fun that the way they have it done. Yeah. So cool. And I will say, too, it's interesting because I watched the first Queer Eye, which I um, called my father about because it was a show that we watched together and I wanted the colonel's opinion um, because it came out at a time where he was leaving the army after 25 years and was now going to have to be a civilian and dress like a civil. Like he there was such like a shift that happened and Mm -hmm. he got really into fashion and was like, oh, my God, I can wear like I can wear prints. I can wear clothes. I can wear jeans. You know, he started growing his hair. Like, it was a whole, like, renaissance of my dad's, you know, personal image. And he loved Carson. Like, he loved watching it. He loved getting, like, style tips. I bought him the book, um, you know, for Christmas one year. And he just – it was interesting talking to him about it because he – first of all, he said Carson made that show what it was, which, you know, sure. I would agree. Truth. Um, and also that he he thought it was really unique because of, like, the LGBTQ – you know, conversation and to be able to see that, um, which I thought was, you know, obviously why it resonates with so many people. It was such a unique show at that time. But the tone of it, watching, I went back and watched one. It's a little aggressive. Yeah, I went back to. It comes from a very, like, like wow, look how far we've come because these these guys had to, there was a defensiveness to them of, like, they're almost like a lower rank than the straight white man. And they had to kind of, there was this weird energy about it of like, it was, it's weird. It's like they almost had to keep proving themselves and like being defensive. And it wasn't coming from a place of equality. It was really fighting for their voices to, it was, it was weird to watch. It made me uncomfortable. Yeah. It was also at a time in reality TV where like things were still so embedded in stereotypes, which is what reality TV thrives off of. So they were all snarky. They were all really bitchy. They were all really, like, mean. Like, at times they were flat out mean. Yeah. And that is something I will say that this new Queer Eye has abandoned. All of the men are just so loving and kind Mm -hmm. and really patient, which is, um, I think, yeah, look how far we've come. I think that's a huge step in the right direction. Absolutely. So who's your fave? My favorite is, okay, it's a tie. Okay, please. So tell we me. have so the new Fab Five is Jonathan, Tan, Carambo, Bobby, and Anthony. And my favorite, I gotta say, is Jonathan. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. like belly laugh at everything that comes out of that man's like mouth. Yeah, his have energy. Have you watched any of the Game of Thrones that he yeah. does? Yeah, yeah. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. He's such a like. I just love. He also is kind of the Carson of this group. And yeah. so Carson, I met Carson in L.A. Excuse me, please tell me more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I went to L.A. And I was trying on clothes at H&M and all of the like, I went into H&M and all the studio lights were up. Like it was like literally, obviously somebody's filming here. Mm-hmm. And I was 18 at the time. So I was just like, oh my God, this is so LA. <laughs> um, and I was like picking out clothes and, you know, kind of, you know, I looked over to the sales person. They were like, oh yeah, yeah, like, come on in. Like they're filming, but like we want it, we want the store to look open. Yeah. So I picked out clothes, went to the dressing room. There was a dressing room that was obviously like totally lit up for tv and then they were like just go around like to the back one and i tried on this pink dress and i opened the curtain to like go show my mom 
And Carson walks up and he's like, oh my God, it comes in pink. <gasps> I mean, I could have died. Did you buy right the there. dress? Of course. Oh, Jesus. It was, it was a moment. Wow. Yeah. What an LA moment for you. How I cute. Know. I know. So fabulous. I feel a very strong soul connection <laughs> to Carson Cressley. I do love that man. Yeah. So. Well, him and Rue are very good friends. So. I know. Did you hear him talk about him on the podcast? Of course I did. And he was like, he's not a bitch, which is so, he's like, is so rare for this industry. Yeah, he's, he's like, he's literally a lovely person. Yeah. I, there's a story that they tell about him getting a job at Ralph Lauren. Do you remember this story? And yeah. he's like, he's wearing like a, a plaid shorts and a shirt at the gym with a matching basketball that's also plaid. And somebody at the gym was just like, who are you? <laughs> And he's like, oh, it's Ralph Lauren. I'm just, you know, I'm at the gym. I have a basketball that I brought. Like, he's not, he's clearly, like, not playing basketball. Yeah. Um, and he, like, lands, like, a great job at Ralph Lauren, which is hysterical. <sighs> it's just, like, amazing. But, yeah. yeah, I think Jonathan is, you know, there's such an energy. There's such a lightness to him. There, he's so full of love. One of my favorite scenes is when they're in Target and he's with those three daughters. And he's just, like, taking care of all of them. There's such a mama bear about him of like, honey, you're so cute and you're so cute and let's get you this. And let, like, there's such a, it's really taking in the whole family, which I thought was like really refreshing. Yeah. And he's like, just buy anything and we'll figure out how to use it later. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I love that. I love, he's just like, so first of all, he loves Beyonce and anybody who loves Beyonce is I my friend. I also got to say though, sometimes I feel with the makeovers, not the makeovers, the home makeovers, there's no way they can do all that stuff in like two days. You think they're cheating us on the timeline a little bit? No. <laughs> they might be cheating. Okay, I, mean, I got to say. Sometimes they redo like the whole, like sometimes they do construction. Oh, okay. So this is like, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast that was talking about Queer Eye. And like the division of labor among these Fab Five just yeah. seems a little uneven to me because, I mean, we have Anthony. I was listening yeah, to podcast. Yeah, let's go into like, each of them. But like Anthony's chopping up an avocado and Bobby's like, I built you this house. <laughs> it's like, I feel like we don't get enough of Bobby. Like, I feel like we really don't know who he is yet. Yeah. With, like, I want to see more Bobby. I want to hear more. I don't know. There's something. I feel like I get who all the other guys yeah. are. But Bobby still feels like a little bit of an enigma to me. Mm. I also want to know more about their partnerships. Mm. Especially, like, with Tan being married and Bobby's married. Like, I want to hear more about, like, Tan is married to, like, a Mormon, Mormon cowboy. Uh-huh. And they live in Utah. I want to hear more about that. I agree. But also, maybe we need to do, like, a five, a three to four minute drop it i want to see their i want to know stories why. yeah yeah i'm actually kind of surprised it's obviously very intentional that they didn't do that because mm -hmm. i was expecting that in the first episode of like this is tan meet bobby well Here's it's interesting because like anthony i did a deep dive on all of these boys and like where they came from and how they got here and like what their jobs were before this yeah because i was like how did they put all these folks together yeah um, and it's super, super fascinating. And there's like a little bit of a meme going on around Antony of like, can he really cook? Is he really a chef? I mean, and he's my feeling is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's 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 an actor. Yeah. Um, who who has done a lot of restaurant work. But also he's teaching these guys in middle America how to make like guac. Like we're not, he's not a sous chef in like a fight. Like who cares? But I don't care. I will say that was something the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy did. Well, Ted. Ted. Well, do you know how Anthony came onto the show? Well, tell me. Ted found him. Excuse me. He you. lives across the street in Brooklyn from Ted. And sometimes they'll cook together. They'll like hang. They're like friends. And he recommended him for the show. So if you have Ted's blessing. Bring back Ted. 
Because here's the thing. Whoa. Ted. Anthony is, we, I didn't talk about my favorites yet, but him and Tan are my favorite. And so, so, so go ahead and tell me why Anthony <laughs> shouldn't be on the show. No, 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 no. I do think he should be on the show. I think they all work so freaking well together. The yeah. chemistry between all of them is dynamite. And mm-hmm. I think they're all meant to be there. Yeah. I just think it's like he's cooking hot dogs. He's cooking an avocado salad. Yeah, but that he's was because they a... had like that cookout for the uh-huh, firemen. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm just saying, Ted was like, "Here's how you make hand rolled sushi. Yeah, here's how you cut your own oysters. Well, maybe he'll bring Here, it. He'll like, bring it up a notch. Okay, great. Season two, Anthony. I'm ready. Oh, okay, Diana. Who are your favorites? Anthony is one of my faves. Why? He's the cutest. <laughs> He's very cute. He's so Gay attractive. Twitter is obsessed. Please look at his Instagram when he dyes his hair blonde. Hello, I follow him. My head exploded. He's so attractive. <laughs> also, he there, he's there's something very moody about him. Like he's a bit of a black cloud, and I kind of like that he's like you can really of all the guys who like go and they're like, hey, we're light and we're fun, and we're, you can always tell when he's a little bit off. Like he's more sensitive. He's an artist. Like I'm attracted to something that he's got going on. Um and Tan. Oh my god! I feel like Tan is who I want to be when I grow up. Oh my There's god! There's such like a sophistication. There's like such a. He's so grounded. Oh. He feels so level to me. He's so joy. Like he seems like a real adult. Tan is my mom's favorite. Really? Yeah. Me and Pat Matthews. <laughs> I love. There's and there's a sweetness to him. I read a great thing that said Tan is the person version of brunch. <laughs> he's like brunch embodied. <laughs> Just like pretty everything and also very like that. supportive. Hmm. Um, but Tan is great. He's so, I love when there's one episode where the guy is just like, you can't fix ugly. I think it's the very first episode. Yeah. And Tan is like, okay, I hear you. Like I hear what you're doing there and I'm not here for it. So yeah. you are have to stop talking about yourself that way. I also way. love his accent. Oh my God. He makes everything sound very can, glamorous. Can we just? Yeah. And being Pakistani Muslim is really cool to see on TV. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that he, I loved hearing all about like the dowry, yeah. like jewelry and like mm-hmm. the whole history behind that. And then when they're working with the guy who's Indian and like what the family values and like all those nuances that, you know, yeah. I've never heard or seen on TV. And bringing attention to, um, the difference between Pakistani and Indian and like that, you know, he's, yeah. he's starting to get into the nuances. Like totally. it's really these like little teaching moments with these guys are so powerful. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm obsessed. So I really like those two are my fave. I feel like um Karamo, I have like what do I I feel almost in a similar space about him that I do with Bobby, which is like and, and he's in a hard space. Culture is hard. Mm-hmm. But he says the word confidence in every episode. And it's like we just gotta find strength. you we just gotta find you confidence. And it's like yeah, pick it up off the ground. How do we find it? Where'd it go? Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. His role is tough. It's a hard role to play. You know, we need to talk about that police scene. Oh, it really wasn't good. Well, can I just tell you? And we're talking about there's an episode where he go. they go into, like, in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, and they get pulled over. The Fab Five are in the car. They get pulled over. Cromwell's driving. And... Essentially, all of their um, license wallets and stuff are in the producer's car behind them, so they don't have anything. And so they have this weird altercation with the police officer that's like, I don't have my ID. At one point, Jonathan whips out his phone and is like, I'm going to start filming, you know, because as a black man, Karamo's like, it's very, it's very uncomfortable. It's very, very heavy. Mm-hmm. And Karamo's face and body language completely changes. Like, he goes from being a reality TV host yep. to 
I'm a black man in this car that just got pulled over. Correct. It was so real. And this is how they're starting the episode. And um, you and I have talked a little bit off mic, or I guess when you were over at my house for drinks. <laughs> when I see you every day of the week of our lives. And we were talking about, like, was the scene staged? I don't believe it was. I've got some info. Oh. I did a little deep digging. Well, look at you. Okay. Let's see. So basically, this is what happened. Um, like sorry, you're skimming. really organizing this into your life. <laughs> like, there is a stack of paper in front of Erin with a clipboard, pens. We got a coffee. She's ready to go. Oh, my goodness. This is this is heavy. Okay. Um, that whole experience was – this is from Chroma. He's, this is what he's saying. That whole experience was extremely uncomfortable. Being pulled over in that car with those people by a police officer with that attitude, I was very aware of the dangers. I think my ability to joke and laugh about things is because I'm forced to. I've been through a lot of things in my life that if I don't make light of it, I would literally – oh, no, I'm sorry. This is a Jonathan quote. Oh, my goodness. My notes are all over the place. Well, here's the thing. I think that the producers knew that it was happening. Okay, sorry. Here it is. Okay. I'm back on, guys. <laughs> Apologies. Um, so, the guys and I in the morning, we actually all physically fight over who gets the key. Sometimes we're driving for two hours. So, if you're in the driver's seat, you're definitely going to be able to control the radio. That morning, I was adamant that I wanted it, not knowing that we would get pulled over as part of the show. Unbeknownst to him, um, his other friends had gleefully signed up for this little trick to help the producers, but that they had no idea they were getting pulled over. So that moment of him, like, in his body language, shelling up, and that was all, they didn't know. Yeah. I mean, the producers will have known. Yes, they Because the producers know everything. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, And this this gets down into, like, the dirty of reality TV. Mm -hmm. Exploitation- for any means necessary. Yeah, but to be honest, they didn't know who's going to get the keys. Yeah, so but it then when it worked been... out, the producer was probably like, great. Well, like, then, that... but then they were also able to have, to that point, they were also able to have this moment in the car later where they talk about police brutality, mm-hmm. where Karamo gets to say like, hey, you know, he talks about his son who's afraid to get his license. So mm-hmm. I know it was so deeply uncomfortable, and I think it just kind of was a happenstance, and then they really took it to be a moment. Although he does say... Jonathan was talking about that that quote that I was reading before um, was about Jonathan. And he was saying the whole day he kept checking in with him mm-hmm. because he felt so bad and because you could clearly tell he'd been shaken and yeah. wasn't really able to be present the whole day that they're there. You know, they're supposed to joyfully bumble into the house and right. now he's pulling up to a car like a police officer. It just the whole thing was yeah. very intense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing, like, uh, this is why people didn't, like, stop going on reality shows. Like, Lauren Conrad is the famous one for being like, I'm done with this. Because producers were literally doing this shit to her all the time. Mm -hmm. Of just, like, surprising her with these really intense moments that did shake her. And, like, it was like, she constantly just felt like she was never in control. Mm -hmm. And, obviously, Karama, like, this was, like, a one-off event, I hope. Um, But, yeah, this is the dark side of, like, needing to create things. I feel like it was the, their intentions were good, and mm-hmm. it what if had had been somebody else like Anthony driving, it, it might have been lighter. I think that also the police officer was told to kind of be a little bit of a hard ass, like we're gonna pull the boys. Do you know what I mean? So that yeah. when the payoff comes, oh, it's just me, and I'm I'm the one that called for you to go see my friend. I think it all just, you know, this is these are the times we live in, and it just went dark. Yeah, yeah. I hope Karma's okay though. Yeah, for sure. That's I'm, a big moment. Yeah. Um, the other thing I loved about Anthony, I will say, is like getting into the little bit of their backstories. I loved when they made over the guy who's like the straightest gay guy in America or whatever. And he's the one who like comes out to his mother or his stepmother. 
I thought that was the only episode I felt like was a little forced. Totally. But the scene I love out of that episode is when Anthony is like, yeah, you know, I had to figure out my own gayness. Like I went to, he's like, I went to Mykonos and I wore bathing suits that were too small for me. And I like did the party scene and he's like, it wasn't for me. And I think that there's like such a, I just really loved like these little nuggets. He also said that he came out by texting his dad. Did you catch that? No. It was very disturbing. They kind of like, they're all sharing their like coming out stories. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, I just texted. And I was like, what? <laughs> to be Can fair, he get- seems like the total type that would do that. <laughs> they did, by the way. I'm gay, bye. <laughs> he's Canadian. Where's he from? Mm, let me look at my notes. Toronto. Probably. <sighs> they're all from Toronto if he's an actor. That's probably not I true, don't, actually. It doesn't have, I don't have it. Um, but yeah, I love that. Just says I was at Canadian at the time and his older sister really loved the show and he would, he was too scared to watch it with her and he would kind of like walk Mm. in and out of the room and, you know, cause it was very taboo-ish. Yeah. The other thing I love and the development that they've had from the original is that, is the physicality of it because in Queer for the Straight Guy, they never like hugged or kissed or like did anything with each other. And Mm -hmm. I think that in this, in this Queer Eye, I really love that all of the men they make over are be- being confronted with what it is to be gay. Mm-hmm. And what, like, because there was such a separation in the last one that, like, these people could literally just come into your life and then parachute back out. And, like, you don't have to deal with anything. You don't have to, like, see anything that might make you feel uncomfortable. So I love that all the guys are, like, kissing and hugging and, like, dressing each other and, like, just being so physical. I think yeah. it's so fun. When they hold each other, when, Aww. like, they have a real moment or even when they're back at the super den or whatever it is and they're re-watching the scenes and they, like, comfort each other, it's so gorgeous. Yeah. It's just there's such a warmth and a love to it. I just really want them to come to my house. I know. And how come they haven't done a girl? Well, that's the that's the mode of the show. Yeah, but come on. Yeah, I think let's that... get a lady in there. I would love to see them work over some like you know we all need a little love. Come, come, come. to the come to our side. Get it going, get it going, get it coming. Um, the other one. So yeah, we do need more from Bobby. I would agree with you. I think that we're gonna we get got a more little from bit him. with the religious yada yada. Yeah, I didn't really. I, that episode whatever. was tough to watch. It really was. It was tough. I mean, to hear that guy talk about, like, working his nine-to-five, then going out and working a midnight shift, sleeping for two hours. He's got six children. His wife doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sal and I watched that episode together, and he was like, I will never complain about doing freelance again. Like, this poor man, it just – it was so devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And I love – and Jonathan, like, trying to show him, like, any kind of little bit – tidbit of a beauty routine. Yeah, and he's, he's like, like, okay, you'll have 30 seconds. Like, I don't even want to take up any – it was – He was ugh, like, please don't get heart. out of bed to do your hair. <laughs> he's like, I get it. Oh, my God. That was tough. <laughs> yeah. That was a hard one. That was a really, really hard episode. Yeah. Ugh. But again, they're just – they're all so – they're all so with the people and present mm-hmm. in a way that I haven't seen on reality TV in a long time. Yeah. Well, they really truly try to make a connection and try to feel like they're, you know, they want to know that they're helping. They want to know that they're doing, that their time is, you know, valuable and that they're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's genuine. You can feel that. Mm -hmm. What do you think about, um, so the title of the show is Queer Eye. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like maybe they missed an opportunity to acknowledge the other letters in the LGBTQIA Rainbow, and they're casting only gay men again. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there was maybe a missed opportunity to represent. Like a trans person? Yeah. Or. Dan, a great question. Because I feel like I was kind of surprised when I turned on the first episode and they were all just gay men again. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I say that like, you know, they're not just gay men. Right. There's a lot of diversity. There's a lot um, represented by the Fab Five. But I thought it was kind of maybe weird that they didn't bring somebody else in. That's a great question. I, th- I think now that you're saying it, I would have loved to see a trans person represented and, you know, share their talents, share their light, share their experience. I mean, queer to me kind of encompasses everybody mm-hmm. in a space, you know. Um, and I do like I think a lot of people are taking back that term as something that's like more empowering. So I, I like the terminology. But I think to your point, the casting, we could I mean, yeah, it would have been interesting. But, you know. Maybe it's an opportunity for them, you know, season two to help a trans person mm. and really, you know, start getting into the all the different pieces and sub piece. I mean, I think something that was really cool is that they, you know, I thought the the coming out episode was like a little bit. It almost was too personal. How did the, she not know? It was too personal and it felt uncomfortable to watch, you know. I'm just, like, not clear. But I did like that they, like, talked, you know, that they're helping gay people. Like, it's we're seeing a, an array of different men's experiences. Yeah. And I think showing the different sides of masculinity yeah. was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. He's engaged now, by the way. Yeah, I saw Yay. that. Congrats. Congrats. Um, yeah, I just, I think that's maybe, my other note um, is that it feels like a little sta- too staged all the time. I mean, this is reality TV. It's very produced. It's heavily produced, heavily edited. Yeah. Um, but what I did like in the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy is that when they watched them go throughout their preparation and event, um, the guys would be- give like a lot more room to kind of mess up. So like the guy that they made over would mess up his outfit and Carson would like have a heart attack and like he would be cooking a meal, actually cooking a meal. Mm. And Ted would be like, well, that's not at all how I showed you to do that. Or like Diana Byrne. But there's just like, to me, it's it always leaves on kind of this like after school special feeling. And I I would love to get a little bit more into like maybe imparting more responsibility on the guys who are being made over so that they like have more to take on. Well, I think sometimes it's like to your point and thinking about like that dad who is barely able to survive in his life. (laughs) You know, I think sometimes they're just there to show love and show support. So, like, yeah. even at the ending, they're like, you know, everything is great. You're doing yeah. fine. You're doing your best. Um, and some of them have such – I mean, there's two guys in particular that, like, you could tell they were so depressed mm-hmm. when they got there. I mean, these are people who are mentally – like, they're – the heaviness of them. Maxed it, out. And they're just – there's such a sadness. And so I, I hear you. It's definitely sometimes feels a little – like they got to wrap it up, but I I like it. I think it's nice. I think it's kind, and I think they are really in some instances shifting the perspective and the self esteem and the confidence, as Cromo would say, of these of these men. And I I like it. Oh my god, there's an episode where Cromo like literally it's like Cromo and Jonathan, and they're talking to this one guy, and he's they're saying like he's just so like beaten down, and he, like his shoulders are slumped, and he's looking at the ground, and they're just like you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. So, like, mm-hmm. let's just, like, step into that, please, and then we'll show you how to do the rest of it. And it's yeah. like, these guys just follow me around and tell me I know what I'm doing all That's the time? That's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. Come to my house. <laughs> Help me do all the things. If I could have Jonathan Monday morning okay, wait. do my hair and makeup. So I Instagram messaged Jonathan. 
I'm sorry, what? And he messaged me back. How are we however many minutes we're into this podcast and you haven't even told me you you talked to one of them? I know. Let me pull it up. Um, Yeah, so he was having like a bad day and I sent him one of my poems. Oh, God. (laughs) You sent Jonathan Van Ness a poem? I'm doing this is like something weird I'm doing guys just stay with me this is why you're in my life but I did send him a poem and he was like slay honey or so he said something really nice and then I was like love you guys you know I don't remember what I said but he wrote back and he just was very kind about it and said like slay hunty or something it was great and I and I was screaming when he messaged me back and I was like dancing around in the kitchen and I was like what a time to be alive <laughs> the queer eye man is messaging me like everyone is accessible yeah so now I'm trying to so then I uh, messaged Tan the other day I'm trying to get now all of them to get me oh my god <laughs> if I could get a text back from Tan I think I could just die happy also with love oh. I, I did a deep dive on his fashion company and I feel like I want to see more of like it's it's a women's line, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, and I feel like I want to see like more. It, it didn't. It felt a little bit generic to me. The clothing line just felt something mm-hmm. like could be, be been in Target or something. Like it felt very maybe just the goal. Very basicy, and it was weird. Like the splash page on the site was like our our founders and queer right. Like it just felt like an afterthought, kind of a like a side business. Oh yeah, which is fine, I guess. Maybe but it'll I want to buy all the things from him, and I'd like him to be investing his time there. Tan, text us back. <sighs> Love it. I can't find this message, but. Whatever. I can't believe that you don't have it screenshot. <laughs> it's like an oversight that you don't have that screenshot. I apologize. It's fine. That's fine. You're just BFFs with Jonathan Van Ness. Yeah. And, you know, you can get his haircut. He's in New mm-hmm. York. You can get his, your haircut from him. Oh, I know. Are you going to book one? No. Why not? You could even get, just get a blowout for him to, like, wash your hair or something. Oh, my God. Wouldn't you love it? Yeah, I would Why love not? It. I almost feel like I can't meet your idols, and he's a little bit too much in my head right now. That's a great point. Yeah. He's, he, yeah. I don't want to. I know that's how I feel about RuPaul. I can't meet him. It's too much. <laughs> he really should stop calling you. You're not going to meet him. <laughs> I know. It's only a matter of time. It really is. Also, and, uh, Andy Cohen's an EP on this series because yeah. it is still part of bravo mm-hmm. i saw that oh all right you already know um yeah please i pay attention to the credits okay um what is the news on this rupaul crossover i mean i'm just putting it out into the universe i mean rupaul did a podcast about queer eye which by the way that episode if you haven't listened to it buddies it is hilarious i mean they're all good but What's they the don't tea? have never disappoints. Yeah, but they don't have any guests, so it's just him and Michelle just like they're always vibing. Just, yeah, they usually don't. They're have just to. like so. Back to Queer Eye. <laughs> yeah, they talk about it for a whole hour. So I'm thinking, and you know, season ten is coming out of RuPaul. Yeah. So I'm thinking maybe there's something there that they're, you know, creating space for. You never know. Oftentimes, the queens have to do a challenge where they dress, um, usually cis white males in drag as part of like their drag family and then they do a runway together so my hope is that maybe the fab five will have to be dragged up that is my hope as well that would be my sending out all the sparkle emojis for that one yeah oh my god anything else anything else on your list you have like seven pages of notes i know really (laughs) (laughs) i will say i do like that right off the bat in the first episode they set the intention of you know the first queer eye for the straight guy was all about tolerance and this one is all about acceptance and I think that that is, like, a very cool way to keep the ball rolling. Absolutely. I'm excited to see. I'm sure they're going to do another season. 
Totally. I'd like to see them diversify who they're helping. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I think great job, guys. Love it. Keep up the good work. What are you excited for, Erin? You know, Roxanne Gay just tweeted that she might be, you know, be available to write Batwoman, Batgirl. That's like a weird thing to put out there. Well, she was like, hey, guys, I, the writer dropped out and she's like, hey, guys, I could do this. And then somebody from D.C. was like, really? And she's like, yeah. So oh that's God. interesting. I love that she's just like putting She's like, I'm available. Right. If you guys need me, I'm a writer, I guess. Let me just, <laughs> let's do a movie. I do feel like she is so, um, she's like bell hooks level. I know. She's very heavy. Yeah. And I feel like we need, a, if, if Roxanne Gay is going to do it, which I think it would be a great idea, mm-hmm. um, she needs a co-writer. But maybe there's a side to her that's like waiting to be like lighter and more, you know, because she's going to have, it's going to be deeply embedded in feminist everything. Yeah. And maybe she has that fun. But it also needs to be popular. Like this is a comic book movie. I think she, I think she could do it. Okay. I'm rooting for her. Okay. So am I. But if she wants to hire us to be co-writers to make it a little fun, I am making myself. I'm available. Yeah. I'm I'm available. I'm here. (laughs) We're always available for everyone. What are you excited about? Well, Miss Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o, made an announcement on the Instagram that she is going to be playing Trevor Noah's mother in the adaptation of Born a Crime, which is his autobiography. And I screamed. (laughs) You just saw it on Instagram. We're like, uh, oh, my God. I think, I mean, like five people sent it to me and they were like, have you seen this? And I was like, yeah, I mean, this is this is what good casting looks like, people. He's going to, I mean, to play his mom. Yeah. And the way he talks about his mom yeah. is really just something to behold. So I am very excited for these two to come together. I really like Trevor Noah. Me too. I think he's a great guy. Sure. <laughs> no, I do. I think he's I think he's just so good at his job. And he knows his he stays in his lane very well and he's just very good at what he does. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for that. He's another one who's very grounded. Yes. Oh, yeah. Except he was, like, dating a Victoria's Secret model for a while, and I believe they were engaged. And then she just disappeared. Nobody's talked about it. Is she dead? <laughs> I don't believe it to be true, but... Well, Victoria's Secret models, maybe she's like, has a surgeon degree or something. Maybe. You never know. Well, they're not together anymore, is what I'm saying. Not sure what happened there, but... R.I.P. If he wants to come in and talk about it, then Trevor, the door is open. Excellent. Love it. Amazing. Anything else on your radar? No. Nah. Just really excited for, really excited to hear like that we're not just making continual movies about white men and that we're telling a diversity of stories. I've heard a lot of announcements of the stories, movies that are going to go into production and I think this is exciting. Absolutely. It is exciting for sure. I love it. Well, thanks, Diana. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Bye. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch, Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. 
Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!